it was Diwali holidays. I went on fishing. Everybody wanted to go on holidays somewhere, but I was the one who was keen to go on the fishing boat because Dad used to take me all the time for marketing, you know, at Sasundok. When I left from Mumbai, because every time we the boats left in early in the morning because we have to chase uh, the sunrise. And uh, when I left five o'clock, and I was asking myself, what am I doing? Am I doing right? How will I survive for like? I, I didn't even know it will last for 10 days. It's like, I hope I get it in one day or two and I'll be back, you know. I, I, I remember all this now and I, I feel so exciting right now because I have seen it, how technology has transformed and that time there was no GPS on our boats. I still remember the skipper guiding our boat with stars. The story of feeding the multitudes with a few loaves of bread and two fish. The Matsya Avatara that helps man avert destruction and leads him towards salvation. From as far back as we can remember, fish have given us sustenance. But more than a source of nourishment, fish always seem to be at the heart of a moral story, a metaphor for spiritual growth. I've been told that we had only one sailboat, like my grandfather, and he had like nine kids that time. So six uh, brothers and three sisters. So my dad was the youngest one. And uh, it, it all started with one sailboat. Teach a man to fish. If you go dad days, I hear stories from my grandfather. His name is Hari Krishna Bhagat from my mother's side. He used to tell that we used to go fishing for like two hours. And in two hours with you put one, sh- uh, one uh, cast of net, you used to get full boat of fishes. You know, and that too on the coast of Mumbai. So there was fish so much. You used, you used to get big prawns, tiger prawns, pomfret, black pomfret, everything. You don't have to go anywhere. And there came a time that everybody started saying that it is overfishing, a lot of fish is being caught. And everybody forgot that in 80s and 70s, most of the fish was caught in Mumbai creeks only. Like we used to not go beyond 5 km. Water was so clear, fishes were found in 5 km area only. Now even if you go 50 km away from Mumbai, you won't be able to get fish. When the numbers increased, two hours became four hours, four hours became a day, day became a two day, three days. And now we are in 2019, it takes 20 days to come back with the fish. An alarming new study points out that if fishing continues as usual, then 88% of all fish stock will be overfished by 2050. And they will fall well below their target's stable population size. I, I say it will go in next five years. When I was fishing, my three boats are all of them making losses. So if you compare fishing average for last five years and this year, I've been catching only 40% of the fish. Without the fish, what stories will we tell? Hello and welcome to In the Field. I'm Samyukta Varma. And I'm Radhika Vishwanathan. In the Field is supported by Rohini Nilekini Philanthropies. In this special two-parter, we're talking about sustainability and consumption. And we're starting with a story about fish to understand how the twin forces, climate change and our ravaging consumption, are depleting the oceans. It's a story about a system of production that is in desperate need of rescue. At the heart of it are the fish themselves, but also the fisher workers, a group that seems just as endangered. We start in Mumbai. My name is Ganesh Nakwa. I belong to Karanja Fisheries Cooperative Society. I'm a director there. I also lead one of the large commercial purses in Welfare Association. And I have my own startup named Blue Catch, trying to sell sustainable seafoods. So in 2010 also, I remember that was the first year I started when I came back from Scotland. We'll get back to there. 
so that time also the average fishing was like 8 9 10 days max so last 9 years it has almost double so that much stress we are putting on our fishing industry india is one of the largest fish producing nations in the world we are often touted as a nation of vegetarians but with a coastline that's nearly 8000 kilometers long that weaves its way from gujarat to west bengal crossing nine states and four union territories we're pretty fishy unlike the temperate waters of europe where we find large fish shoals of fewer species like cod carp or salmon tropical waters have a greater intermingling of species but each is found in smaller quantities we have more types of fish tuna mackerel ribbon fish parrot fish but fewer in number and despite our country's access to a wide warm shallow continental shelf where millions of these fish breed it's still becoming harder to fish so we feel that there is a fish into the ocean but something is wrong with climate so all this ocean is dependent on the chlorophyll then planktons then water currents then there is sea surface temperatures then there is winds all these factors play important in fishing industry what indian fishermen find today is that their catch consists of a few high value species species that fetch a good price at the fish market and a large quantity of what is called bycatch juveniles and smaller low value fish that forms the bulk of their nets in the 90s there were larger quantities of high value fish but today the numbers are in decline caused by a combination of relentless demand destructive fishing techniques that scrape the ocean and of course climate change and i see this year from august to march now almost 8 months of fishing there have been five cyclones and we are on to the western part of the coast eastern coast is more worse because that is directly influenced to the bay of bengal and the cyclonic part of indonesia and all that you get most of the cyclones from there but getting same impact onto the western coast as well has hampered fishing industry right now christopher costello and his team at uc santa barbara the authors of the alarming report state that by 2012 68% of fisheries had slipped below the sustainable fishing mark countries like india are particularly vulnerable and as you heard from ganesh expeditions are getting longer and with changing weather fish are migrating and as as the fish move and as the fishermen have to move even further to catch them and so on this is divya karnad a conservationist whose interest is in the sustainability practices of fishermen it's only going to exacerbate the problem because we tend to use a uh, fishing gear that is not very selective uh, and because as i said we are tropical we tend to catch you know a huge diversity of species that may or may not have market value in the end so all this kind of fits together to create a very uh, complicated problem that can be just easily said in one word which is overfishing that's why you see a lot of fishermen crying because it is not in their hands now now climate change is happening pollution is happening is it is not cause of fishermen efforts you know it is somebody else who is doing it ganesh's frustration also comes from what he sees happening along the coastline our coastlines are important not just to the fisher workers and the fish because as a competitive use of the coast for fish for ports for trade for oil state policies differ from one coastal state to the other defining what comprises coastal zones territorial waters exclusive economic zones and areas where fishing practices and technologies are limited and even protected marine areas fisher workers are also pushed out by new coastal regulation zones that affect the land they live and work on many see it as a trade off but for the small fisher worker communities it spells doom 
All along these 8,000 kilometers, they are angry and protesting their displacement with these kinds of development projects, the big one being Sagarmala. And in the midst of all of these competing interests and pressure on our coastal ecosystems, there is us. We want fish and we want it year-round. The most perplexing thing about this is that for the fishermen, we, the urban markets, seem to only want to eat a handful of the hundreds of varieties we have access to. Despite the fact that urban markets are not actually, in terms of volumes, the biggest market, in terms of price, they are the biggest market. And so they are really driving this uh, uh, relentless overfishing because they want those species throughout the year, no matter what. So things like your searfish and pomfrets and all that, people are willing to pay whatever it takes to get that searfish or pomfret throughout the year. And so this is what seems to be driving the overfishing. The fishermen are forced to go out there and search for those fish, no matter whether they are available in that time, whether they are migrating, all that doesn't matter. They just have to fill as much fuel as it takes and go as far as it takes and as fast as it takes to get those fish and come back. The hard part about understanding how we produce and consume in the age of climate change is figuring out how we created these unsustainable production systems in the first place. More and more, we seem to ask ourselves, how did we get here? The most destructive and vilified of all fishing methods is the trawler. Any technology carries with it the the code of the society in which it is uh, generated, let us say. And also some of the givens of the environment of that society. So, you see, a, a trawler is probably appropriate in temperate water. You see, the, the world's first development project, as we understand development projects, uh, uh, was a fishery project. This was a project which was negotiated between uh, Norway, the United Nations system, and India. This is Dr. John Kurian, an expert who spent his life working with and for small-scale fisher workers. The development program he mentions introduced trawlers. You know, trawlers were introduced initially because they are very... Uh, you, you know what trawlers are. I mean, this is the, this kind of a boat which, you know, drags a net... Uh, uh, which uh, scrapes the bottom of the uh, sea. And the uh, initial intention, the initial target of trawlers all over Asia were, was prawns, uh, shrimp or prawns, whatever word you like to use. The reason is that prawns had become a very uh, uh, favorite uh, source of uh, luxury protein for a lot of the developed world post Second World War. When the world discovered its love for prawns, China was its leading supplier. But in 1949, Mao closed the Chinese economy and there was a scramble for global sourcing of these delicious bottom feeders. So they introduced this because Kerala, uh, you know, the the sea of Kerala has probably the one of the largest uh, prawn resources in the world. Ironically, people in Kerala never ate prawns. They were used more for manure and coconut plantations, largely because prawns were caught during the wet, musty monsoons when fish spoiled quite quickly and people associated prawns with stomach upsets. The Kerala fish trade was largely limited to the old colonial trading outposts 
like Burma and Ceylon. But the prawn rush blew up over the course of the decade, and as prawns needed to be shipped further and further away, technology changed. Refrigeration was introduced. Prawns began to be frozen and taken to places like the United States. It was suddenly a lucrative business, and it attracted all kinds of people. In India, it also suddenly changed the idea of who a fisherman was. And you know, in the Indian context, we have that fishermen belong to a particular caste. So it was introduced to fishermen, but you know, no fisherman uh, uh, could afford a trawler. So what happened was, uh, with the coming of trawler, also came the entry of a capitalist class who began to own trawling because trawling resulted in, uh, you know, generation of huge profits. So, you know, it brought in some respectability into the, the export of fish. John Kurian got his start in the fishing sector when he went to visit friends doing social work in Kerala. And he found himself in a fishing village near Tiruvananthapuram, speaking with local fishermen who had decided to form a cooperative to cope with exploitative market conditions, middlemen whose power to determine prices were squeezing these communities. At the time, John was a restless young man and wondered about the value of his American-oriented training in business management to people such as the fishermen he met. He agreed to spend a year in the village, but ended up spending nearly five. And since then, he has worked on the implications of technology, global forces and policy on small-scale fishers. Everybody was in, introducing a trawler because, uh, and you know, in, in, in Tamil Nadu, for example, all the film stars had trawlers. It's also a good way to, you know, convert your black money into white. So, uh, the, the expansion of the trawler fleet in India and in all the other tropical Asian countries was so, so fast that very soon the ecosystem impact of trawling became very evident. Across the waters, they were extremely unpopular with the many small-scale fishermen who used traditional boats, like catamarans or canoes, and over the decades, the trawlers began to cause conflict. When a trawler moved, it would cut the nets or lines of traditional fishermen. You have the, you know, David and Goliath kind of situation emerging. So, there was a lot of opposition to trawlers. So, in the Late 70s, all over India, all over Asia, you see that uh, trawlers were being targeted by fishermen. A lot of opposition uh, states, uh, you know, tried to mediate in some way, some law, some kind of territorial rights to the small fishers, zoning and things like that were tried in various ways. Uh, but what this resulted in is a big uprising of the uh, small-scale fishermen. So, for example, in India, we have the creation of what is called the National, uh, it was in those days called the National Fishermen's Forum. Subsequently, it became called, became the National Fish Worker Forum uh, and its local units in different states. Further up the coast in Mumbai, from the 60s onwards, indigenous fishing communities began to adopt more aggressive fishing practices. So I, I believe mechanization started in 1965 and that was uh, the year also our co cooperative society was formed in 1961. And at that time it started with small engines like one cylinder, two cylinder. And uh, the sailboats really, really started to convert uh, into mechanization. 
Ganesh tells us that Mumbai's fishermen were introduced to these new techniques by Goan fishermen. So our grandfathers adopted that technology uh, in trawling basically from 1965 to 1985-90s. And there was another process in uh, like very aggressive fishing, uh, which was adopted again by looking at Goans. And uh, when the expansion started, when we used to get good prizes for the prawns, basically prawns industry was boomed in 1980s, I think. Fishing peaked in the 1990s, a date that many in the industry, including Ganesh, remember very well. It was when the Indian economy opened up, bringing more mechanization to small-scale fishing and an altogether new level of consumerism to Indian shores. But since then, fisheries have been on the decline, and the difficulties of collectivization in fishing have also increased. And trawlers that were originally built to catch individualistic large shoals of temperate water fish were pretty soon starting to cause widespread environmental damage in tropical seas. Everybody is talking about trawling now. Bottom trawling has to be banned. Bottom trawling has to be banned. Yes, the ban has to be there, but there has to be a you know, way which fishermen wants. You cannot just come to fishermen and tell, you know, we think it is like that and you should be uh, doing it. Over the past 20 years, Ganesh tells us that overfishing and the never-ending demand for seafood put tremendous pressure not only on the ecosystem but on the fishermen as well. And to break even, fishing expeditions gradually became longer, more risky, with uncertain catch. Take an example, we fish for like 10 months and uh, every fishing trip costs like 2 lakh rupees. So it's that we have to catch the fish about three, 2 lakh rupees. So the policy has to be something that how fishermen can get that fish economically, not catching bycatch, not catching juvenile. They say that change the mesh size, change the regulations and all that thing. If they do that and if they make losses, will government pay for them? Ganesh grew up in a fisher worker household. He's one of the few fishermen from his generation who still work in the trade. But like many of his peers, he never planned to stay on in the family business. As a young college student, he tried many courses in Mumbai to find the one that suited him best. And I was trying a lot of things that time, I should tell you. I gave <laughs> engineering exams, I gave merchant navy, I gave hotel management. I tried all sorts of entrance exams and I ended up in business studies only. On his father's urging to complete his undergraduate degree, he moved to Scotland. And then he's like, do something else. So why not try business studies, what you're doing in Panvel, go and do in UK. So he's like, go and study. Going abroad wasn't his aspiration. It was just something that everyone his age was doing. And so he did it too. And after three years, he became an investment banker, a far cry from his fishing roots. In 2010, there was a strange story happening in village. Everybody was catching a lot of fish. I think 2009, Fayan came, if I'm not wrong. And after Fayan, there was a migratory shift in sea. A lot of fish travelled from Indian Ocean, Bay of Bengal towards Arabian Sea. So, a lot of guys were catching fish. And uh, my father was not catching fish. So used to always, when I used to call him, he's like, humko fish nahi mil rahe, fish nahi He's like, our boats are getting old. I always felt bad, you know, okay, like, and I decided like, uh, my dad is also struggling, uh, why not? I, the thought was there in my mind, maybe I should go back, maybe not. I had two years visa as well, resident visa. Uh, and I had got an offer from JP Morgan. So I traveled to India, 2010, uh, December, and uh, I never went back. Moving back home was difficult. Ganesh invested in more boats and began running the fishing business. 
when i was there in 2011 at that time suppliers used to do suppliers job exporter used to do exporter job and uh, i think it started from 2014 or 15 last four years back when uh, there was a price, price cheating was always there and there came a time that fish was not coming in and we were getting exploited so a lot of guys started losing money as fishing moved deeper into the seas boats need to be upgraded but investing in a new boat today is extremely expensive often beyond the reach of most fishermen in 2000 if you build a boat the boat used to build in like 10 15 lakh rupees 2019 it needs 80 lakh rupees and one of the biggest challenges for fishermen is balancing small quantities of high value catch with large volumes of low value catch and as divya explains there was also a study uh, by a scientist called dr aaron lobo who looked at this in detail who looked at this idea of bycatch or trash fish in detail and he found that in many cases now the main catch or the high value species were uh, being caught in such low numbers that it was this bycatch or low value species that was actually holding the fisheries afloat economically people were getting as little as like 6 rupees a kg and things like that which was really not worth anyone's time except that they were catching such large quantities of these kind of low value uh, fish that they were able to make up the costs uh, i shouldn't be saying this but if you go in mumbai mumbai is like 25 million people kurla dharavi and all this area they need lot of fish yeah chief yeah. fish basically yeah. so they cannot afford chicken 160 rupees they cannot afford mutton 400 rupees but yes fish is available more than 100 species of fish is available for 100 rupees but that is not economical for us so we have found a market for this fish but this is this is actually targeting overfishing because this fish shouldn't be caught all these smaller fishes shouldn't be caught yeah. and we used to throw them before if you go like 20 years back we used to throw them before in tc we used to only get high value catch and now when there is a market for this there are people who consume it as well and fishes which doesn't get consumed what we call bycatch and juvenile they go for fish meal and fish oil yeah. so and poultry feed as well Fishing is one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's harder now than it ever was. Unlike farming, fish can't be grown on a contained plot with a set number of inputs. And all of the people we spoke to kept reminding us that fish are wild. The seas are wild. The precariousness of fishing is borne by the communities whose identities are so closely linked with their occupations that they seem endangered themselves. And they may not want their children to continue in doing what they have done. For Ganesh, while business was good for a few years, it wasn't easy, and he had to face his community and his family's chagrin at his return. And within this time, I faced so many problems. It's like, पढ़के पढ़ लिखके इसका क्या फायदा है? ये फिशिंग में आ रहा है. And I used to get that every day, you know. Whenever I used to go on boards, like investment banker, यार अभी फिशिंग ही कर रहा है. So that was a good thing as well for me. I was always motivated, but bad thing because most of the people thought कि फिशिंग में कुछ नहीं बचेगा तो एटलीस्टर you don't get respect in your own community nobody respect you all from other community that fish that i faced as well i mean like i have, i 
I was I was earning respect until I was in squad lab. But day I came back and I was into fishing, I started to hear that. My own father used to tell, tell me that. Kya hua hai? Why you came back? I gave you so much. Sab kuch laga hai Why did you have to end up here? That his community was facing challenges was all becoming more apparent to him. It was getting harder to earn a living by fishing. The government was not responsive to fisher worker needs. And even the community was apathetic and unwilling to come together. And at the same time, there were a lot of organizations in Mumbai like CMFRI, CIFE, those guys used to come at dock. They were needing help you know, to, from the fishermen that we are here to help you. But all the fishermen mentality is same. Like, we've been doing this for years and years. He decided to stand for elections in his local fishing cooperative. And he won. So our community is big. So Karanja Fisheries Cooperative, it is one of the largest cooperative society in India. It has 6,000 shareholders and 615 registered boards with us. And it's so old as 1961. I am competing with a very, very big market. I am competing with all these exporters. I am competing with these big, big group, food groups who are already well established in my market. So this won't work if I am trying to do it. Whereas if a cooperative player where n number of guys who have everything right from the boats, right from the fisherwomen, right from the fish workers, fish loaders, unloaders, it's a big, big number. And if the module is created, we're taking everybody together, catching the fish right to the selling to the hotelers or exporters or any consumer, it will be a win situation because you won't be competing with anybody else because you are yourself in your own module. Divya's research has focused on trying to understand how fishermen think about sustainability, what they might understand by it, and what kinds of practices might reflect this understanding. One of the things that I was looking at is what it is that the fishermen were actually having conversations about. And uh, what I saw during my fieldwork was that uh, a lot of these uh, fishing communities who may even be from multiple villages were coming together and talking about uh, fishing being meaning more to them than just being some kind of a business. It was a sort of their identity. And uh, to see it from that kind of cultural perspective meant that uh, if if fishing were to no longer exist, it would almost be like these people no longer exist and their places no longer exist and what they did with their lives no longer matters. Divya told us that she once wanted to attend a fisherworker meeting and when she approached the fishermen about it, they were apprehensive and they asked her a lot of questions about why she wanted to join in. She told us that they were basically trying to tell her that they didn't need her and didn't need her judgments about their decisions. Their entire perspective was so different from my worldview. And uh, so they made it very clear that I could come in there really as an observer and not uh, too much to try and uh, you know push my views or my agenda or anything like that and once I made it clear that that was what I was going to do then it was really interesting to hear them uh, talking about you know sustaining the oceans and everything as being something that was uh, threatening their own lives. She told us that from her view as a scientist it was a new thing to realize that the fishermen did not see themselves to be separate from the sea Sustainability wasn't something that happened out there, in the sea. It was what ensured that they themselves were sustained. They've been saying to save all these whales, mammals, but we've been saving them for years and years. Mammals, turtles, dolphins are like God for us. So I'll tell you a classic example. When I also went to a fishing, when we spotted a big blue whale, we bought 12 coconuts and broke. 
so that is a tradition that's been following for years and years and years and that's when when all these organizations started coming to us and uh, coming up with all these fancy titles of saving turtles saving whales saving dolphins and i don't know how do they get funding and all but my question to is them if you put such amount of research and all this to save this species the same amount has to be done for the other species as well ganesh was emphatic in his assertion that small scale fishermen are as endangered as the fish themselves there are over a million small scale fishermen in india and this traditional sector now face very little access to their chief source of income for ganesh fishing is deeply ingrained in his blood in his family's blood and that is what they have always done and will always want to do so see the fishing has been like hunter's job we've been doing it for thousands of years policies came in 80s we don't want your policies your ports your roads your coastal roads your statues to come up in our villages and tell them and tell us not to fish and go and work on to ships go and work on ports go and work on these passenger ferries cargo ferries tourism building building hotels we don't want that there's somebody else who's already doing it we want our fishing generation we've been doing for thousands of years we want that to continue do something for that it is true that small scale fisher workers form the backbone of india's fishery sector but policies largely do not protect them and in the competitive scramble for the coast the small scale fisher worker often becomes the pedestrian navigating their way on a very busy road yet they are also the ones who are at the forefront to help in times of disaster as we saw in kerala last year where fisher workers gave up their daily wages for months to help stranded families john and the organization he co-founded the international collective in support of fisher workers worked towards creating a un instrument the voluntary guidelines for sustainable small scale fisheries it was endorsed by 190 countries in 2014 they are the first internationally agreed instrument dedicated entirely to small scale fisheries addressing their reality and stressing their right to the sea and the coast in this episode we focused on a small part of the larger fishing story in india the story of the small scale fishermen as john points out The guidelines him and his team worked tirelessly on were voluntary and this is because fisher workers tend to be at the lowest rung of the ladder. There will always be reporting on policies and development and technology and new infrastructure. But we decided to focus on this story because it was time to address the assumptions that we have about how this industry works and to try to begin to see how consumers play a role in production, the way in which the climate is changing and how consumer choices affect the fortunes of communities especially marginalized ones in our next episode we're looking at the other part of the problem the consumer and what it's going to take to change us thanks to divya karnad ganesh nakwa john kurian and shrini swaminathan in the field is a vaka production this episode is hosted and produced by radhika vishwanathan and samyukta varma our sound producer is satosh nataraja Our theme song is by Hollis Coates and show and art design is by Pushan Raj. This episode was mixed and recorded at Third Eye Studios. Check out our show notes, transcripts and more information on www.inthefieldindia.org or reach out to us on social media. We're at In the Field India. In the Field is supported by Rohini Nilekani Philanthropies.